Welcome, and thank you for listening today. This Caregiver Life podcast focuses on caregivers from all walks of life. Throughout the episode, we will hear from caregivers on the front line, those who do the day-to-day, sometimes hour-to-hour caregiving. We will also hear from care recipients, professionals in the field of caregiving, and other various topics of interest to those living this caregiver life. Howdy, Mayor. Okay. Hi, Jen. Hi, Mayor. How's it going? Um, It's been busy, but not as busy as you. What's your news I, to share? I've been a little bit busy. Um, we had an early arrival of my first grandchild last Yay. week. Yay. That's so exciting. And uh, so what is the new grandchild's name? Her name is Freya. Mm-hmm. And she's just, as my son calls her, she's just a pretty little lady. Yeah. She's um, not quite seven pounds right now. And so she's just a little petite thing. And um, gosh, we love her to death. Mm-hmm. She had a bit of a rough entry though, Mare. She did. So I feel like your all of your years of caregiving experience like just came all together right there in that moment. What happened that she had a rough beginning? Well, my daughter-in-law labored for um, 27 hours. She pushed for three about an hour into the pushing, you know, I, I've, I'm a mother. I've been, I've been a helper at a lot of births and I could tell that we were not making progress at all. And she really wanted to deliver naturally, which of course, you know, every mother does. Um, but after three hours, her vitals and the baby's vitals started to really roller coaster. And the doctor just said, we've got to do a C-section. And so they prepped my son and they got him in scrubs and, and they wheeled them away and said they would be back in 20 to 25 minutes. And I didn't, I got an update that Freya was born. Um, and then they just told me to stay in the room, which was a bit scary. My son came back with the baby by himself. And I learned that the baby had um, an APGAR score of two. She had to be resuscitated and uh, they had to do chest compressions. At the same time, my daughter-in-law was hemorrhaging. Um, she needed multiple transfusions and uh, they almost lost her. Um, it was very frightening for my son and I definitely went into immediate caregiver mode. Um, tried to gather all the information I could, comfort my son in this really strange you know, hour of his life where he didn't know if he was going to be a single dad he was, you know, has a newborn, obviously that there's so much joy there. Um, but he saw what happened to her. And so there was a lot of concern about she, if she was okay, she is okay. Um, my daughter-in-law is okay. She's going to need a lot of time to heal and recover, but, um, very frightening. And, you know, I was there during the labor. So those days of caregiving and being up for hours and hours on end have really got me trained. As you said, I think the the thing the kids needed the most out of me was to um, guide my son as an advocate for his daughter and his partner and to make sure that we were asking the right questions and that I understood like as the secondary caregiver right now um, that we had all the information that we needed. And it was a lot. Um, I know I went a little bit dark with communication (laughs) for a few days, Um, slept at the hospital, did a lot of praying. Thankfully, we're on the other side of it. I'm still doing a lot of caregiving. I think um, just my daughter-in-law can't do everything and um, trying to help them be new parents, I guess, if you will. You know, in this day and age of COVID, it's quite unusual. You don't have the the home nurse visit where they show you how to give a bath and you don't, um, the lactation experts, they can't be right there with you, touching you and helping you. And um, so it's a lot for anyone having a baby right now. It is. And you've, you've had like everything that where you need all the support. I mean, that's, that's just an incredible set of circumstances that you guys all went through together, really. I don't, you know, and, and how frightening if you hadn't been there to, to coach them and comfort them. It's an honor. Uh, and I say that a lot about taking care of my brother, but I, I do think that 
caregiving is a blessing and it's a privilege. I felt really thankful that my brother has good um, caregiving team to help him so that mm -hmm. I could focus on my my son and his family um, cause, because my brother has been quite ill, as you know. And so, gosh, it wasn't the Thanksgiving that we had certainly planned for, but then what what are plans anyway in this caregiving life oh yeah we don't we can't really plan for anything every time i plan for something it usually blows up on me so, <laughs> so i've i've kind of i'm 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 trying to teach myself how to um enjoy those little breaks when there isn't some big thing going on and where to go into my head where i don't feel compelled to do something that's kind of what happens but i just let me i just want to circle back to your daughter-in-law it is i had c-sections myself and um and one was pretty rough um the other one was not quite as rough but it's it's a long recovery and because she needed blood she's she's um she's got a long way to go so i'm just so thrilled that she has you there and your son there and he's learning he grew up with his mom as a caregiver um, so I'm sure he's m much better at it than he really thought that he was going to be at caregiving. And he's showing that one trait that all caregivers need to get through the really tough times. And that is patience, mm -hmm. patience with himself, patience with the healthcare providers who are very strained right now and patience with the care recipient because mm -hmm. they, they are often in pain, struggling themselves. And if you don't show them patience, uh, you create tension where it doesn't need to exist. Mm -hmm. They don't need that, especially Freya. She doesn't need that at all. She needs mm -hmm. a, a nice, loving, relaxed environment. And I'm sure she has it. I love seeing the photos of her. She's, she is beautiful. And we'll, we'll share, maybe you can share a photo in a little bit with, um, with Denise Brown, who's our guest today. We have a guest on our podcast. <laughs> Denise is, um, so let me tell you a little bit about Denise. Denise launched the Caregiver Years Training Academy in April 2020 after selling caregiving.com, an online community that she launched in 1996. And maybe you'll tell us a little bit about that as well. Through the Caregiving Years Training Academy, Denise offers training and leadership development opportunities for family caregivers and former family caregivers. In January 2016, Denise debuted the Certified Caregiving Consultant Training Program, which helps former family caregivers launch a business to help current family caregivers. She has since added additional programs, including the Certified Caregiving Advocate, Educator, Facilitator, and Specialist Training Programs. More than 200 individuals from five different countries have enrolled in her training programs. She has managed two online networks, HealingOurWay.com, which helps those healing through loss and caringourway.com, which we'll share those in our show notes, the links to those um, online, online networks. Um, they help to, uh, which helps us harness our resilience to manage the difficult months of the pandemic. In April, 2021, she will host a caring conference, which will feature workshops and sessions that reflect the conference theme, our resilient spirit. Denise's latest book, Healing the Caring Life, Strategies to Soothe When Life Burns will be available in January 2021. Denise poses caring questions on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, encouraging family caregivers to share their experiences by answering one question. Denise began caring for her parents in 2004 after her father's bladder cancer diagnosis. Her parents, now 89 and 86, live near Denise in their own apartment. So welcome, Denise. That is so much you've really been in the, this caregiver life for a long time yes hi mary hi jen thank you both so much for having me it's delightful to be with you today oh we're so happy that you decided to join us we love having you as well how did you get involved in the caregiving community like way back when you started 1996 i read 1996. I actually started a business in 1994 but i had been working with family caregivers since 1990. so i my first job was a part-time job managing a congregate meal site in a small town in New Jersey. And I provided hot lunches for seniors in the community and delivered meals on wheels. And that introduced me to the adult children who would call and say, did my mom come for lunch today? How did she seem? 
And then from that job, I moved into managing a respite care program for this, this county in New Jersey, which provided respite services for family caregivers. And so I would go into the homes of family caregivers to help them figure out how do they get a break. And then I would help them budget because I had a budget to give them. It was really quite phenomenal. And then I worked as an admissions director in nursing homes. So this entree into the experience of caregiving really fueled a passion for me for writing. So I'm actually a writer and there's no greater story than the story that a family caregiver tells you because there's all the great elements of a great story, right? There's drama, there's mystery, sometimes there's romance, there's, <laughs> there's comedy and it's all in one story and every story is different. So no matter how many family caregivers I spoke with, I always had a different story that I received. And I always felt so really grateful as the listener to these stories that someone would share the intimate details of a really personal experience like caregiving. Because we know that what happens in the house sometimes feels very private and we feel very vulnerable sharing that story. And I wanted to give an opportunity then for others to share their story. So that really was the premise of launching my business. I started with a newsletter that I sent out every month. The first issue was in January of 1995. And then that fall of 1995, someone told me about this newfangled thing called the internet. And I thought, I want to be there. So I actually built my own website just to see if there was any kind of audience. People told me I was crazy and I was wasting my time, but I thought, I don't think so. And then in August of 1996, I secured a domain name because I thought I am here. This is where I belong. And then it all just kind of built from there. Such a big need for it out there. And I and we had, um, Denise and I had shared before, um, before we started recording today, what I did a long time ago, which was to work in the field of um, seniors, uh, elderly people, and that was in New York, and I feel like we might have even crossed paths back then because it was really a very new idea to um, the Meals on Wheels programs. We had that in my program as well, and um, I used to go to conferences, and uh, Debbie DeJesus, who is the social worker that ran our program, got it all started. She was a director. She knew a number of people in New Jersey, so I think we were sort of toiling in the same area back then. So um, very, very new. And we had some romances too in our, our 55 plus club, which was really, it was lovely. I'd, I'd say it was sweet, but I mean, I think it was really lovely more than sweet, you know? It was nice I, to see people finding that in their lives. Yeah, I think there's a love story during caregiving. And sometimes it's not a romantic love, but there is something that happens to love. So people will say to me, you care for your parents because you love them. And I actually reframe that. I care for my parents because I love myself. I know what gives me peace of mind. And if I didn't help, I couldn't sleep at night. And so sometimes the love story is really what we learn about ourselves and how we learn to love our imperfections and our vulnerability because we see how we connect with others in a really compassionate, understanding way because of our caregiving experience. And you just wanna protect them. You know, there's a protective mode that comes out as a caregiver because you see their vulnerabilities as well. And you just really wanna stand in. And I think that love just grows so much deeper regardless of who you're caring for, whether it's a spouse or a mom or a dad, or you just, you, you just, want, you just wanna keep the bad things away from them and, and give them the best life they can. So I was hoping that you would tell us a little bit more about the Caregiver Years Training Academy. I was reading a little bit of it online on your, on your website, and it's so intriguing. So it actually started, I would say, in 1997, because I had this idea that we could stage the caregiving experience like we staged a disease process. And this idea of staging the caregiving experience would give us a sense of what's normal because it feels so 
out of the ordinary what we experience during caregiving. So I wanted to give this sense of normalcy that what you're experiencing isn't because you are making the experience harder than it is, it's because the experience is that hard. And I also wanted to help people feel like, okay, if I'm here right now and I have an understanding of what could come, I can put some plans in place right now that might help when the future arrives. So the first concept of the caregiving year six stages to a meaningful journey was actually four stages and I put it up on my website I asked for feedback and then I added two more stages and then continued to refine that concept over the next however many years. In 2015 someone called me out of the blue and said I love this and I want to give a presentation about this teach me how and that was really how the certification program started. She actually had experience creating certification programs and said, you've got one here with this concept and I'd love for you to teach us how to do it. So in January of 2016, I launched the first session of what became our certified caregiving consultant training program. And typically it's for anyone who's had a personal caregiving experience that wants to take that wisdom and knowledge and information about resources and turn it into a consulting service. They can add it to their business that they start or add it within an organization that they might work for. So from that, I added different levels of training so that wherever you are in your caregiving experience, you have an opportunity to look at it as an opportunity for a career. Oh, wow, that's really fascinating. I did, you know, that I think a lot of our listeners are going to appreciate hearing that because I think so many of our caregivers, um, they, they really end up loving caregiving more than they ever thought they would. And they want to continue being in that field. They want to continue to help other caregivers. And, and sometimes, you know, as a caregiver, you lose your career, like not even sometimes, it's often. And then what do you do with these lost years of caregiving, right? Yes, and I would also say that after caregiving ends, if you go back to a career, it does not feel meaningful to you anymore. So you've had this profound experience and often caregiving ends with a death and that changes your perspective on life. When you are living with death at the end of caregiving and then death happens, you have this perspective on what it's like to live. And so you wanna spend the rest of your life really doing impactful work. And sometimes going back to a career you had doesn't really fulfill that purpose. There's a void. And so you look to see, how did I spend the last 10 years of my life? Well, it was in caregiving. And I know people are in pain during their caregiving experience. How can I help them? What can I do to help soothe what could be painful? And that often is what turns people into certified caregiving consultants. I also think we have amassed this incredible knowledge base. And after caregiving ends, this idea that we can't give it to someone who could use it in some regards kind of haunts us, right? We don't wanna lose it. We wanna give it to someone so that they can benefit from us, so from it. So that's what happens with some of the other program participants. They feel like, you know what, I've got this. I want to share it. And so what we do in the training is really create this foundation. I teach a communication strategy that I, I've been using with family caregivers since 2004. And it's the communication strategy that helps minimize stress. So participants in our training program use this overview of the caregiving experience, the communication I, strategy that I teach, as well as insights that I've gained about the experience and then tailor it to what they want to do to help family caregivers. So everybody leaves the program with a specialty. What's great about that is then the, cons the consultants form a community where they collaborate with each other. So for instance, I was talking to one of our certified caregiving consultants yesterday, and she and two of the other consultants have collaborated to manage a Facebook group. They're on each other's podcasts. They co-present with each other. They support each other. When you start a small business, it is scary. So when I started my business, I did it basically on my own. And I know how scary it was. 
And I want others who want to start a business to feel that support of a community. So that's the other benefit is that you are connected then after graduating with others who want you to be successful, who want to help you make a difference. Wow, that's fantastic. That's kind of why we started this Caregiver Life podcast, just so we could continue to be a part of the caregiver, other caregivers' lives and to be able to share our stories and some of our personal strategies. I, you know, we're not journalists, so we definitely infuse our personal experience into this caregiver life. And Jennifer, who I'll bring in in just a minute, I'm sure she's got a lot of questions here, um, speaks publicly with the Wounded Warrior Project and shares her story all over the country about being a caregiver. And we're both Elizabeth Dole Foundation fellows which means we're wide open to sharing that story. So I, I really love what you're doing and I'm, I'm gonna look into that a little bit myself because it's very intriguing for me. I'm, I'm stuck in a strange place in caregiving right now with a lot of care needed, but not, but not an overwhelming amount of care, like, like enough where he needs help with ADLs. And so you've always gotta be around, but with some, some time to fill some time. So interesting place. I love hearing about uh, what you're doing at the training academy it's really fascinating and i appreciate you doing it actually so i think a lot of caregivers wonder what do i do next you know um so i wanted to ask you i have two questions i love to ask caregivers um what's the most challenging aspect of caring for your parents okay that's a great question because i think oh my gosh which one do i pick <laughs> you can pick maybe more than one but you know usually there's one that stands out I would say it's a challenge from my past because I did figure it out, but I often felt like I was imposing my wishes for them rather than honoring their wishes. And it came to a, a head in 2016. They had moved into a retirement community. We had encouraged them to stay there for the winter. They were recovering some, from some critical and serious medical conditions and, and episodes. And it wasn't possible for my mom to return home from a, an extended hospital stay. So we moved them into a retirement community. And I thought, this is great. I really felt like I was sleeping better at night. They lived in, in a carpeted apartment. So when my mom fell, she was falling on carpeting. And then my dad could call and a home health aide would come up to the apartment immediately. It just felt like it was the best of all worlds. My dad didn't have to worry about cooking. They didn't have to clean or shop. It was an easier lifestyle. My mom hated it. So we had a family meeting to talk about what to do next in January after they had been in the retirement community for about four months. And we really were encouraging them to stay. It was in the middle of our suburb. They were still attached and to friends. They could still participate in all the activities that they enjoyed. My mom stood up in the middle of that family meeting and said, I am not dying in this dump. Now it wasn't a dump, but it was not the place where she wanted to be. Oh my gosh, I was so mad. I was so mad because I thought, we're not thinking about my dad who's doing so much better because he's released from all this work, cooking, shopping, cleaning. We are not thinking about me and the impact of me because I have help now. And then I finally, it finally dawned on me that what I was doing was trying to determine how my parents spend their last years. And to me, a gentle death is a good way to spend your last years. To my mom, that's not what she wanted. She did not care if she fell on hardwood floor. So they moved into an apartment with hardwood floors. They fall, there's blood. I'm, all, you know, I'm running over there to clean it up, but this is how she wants to live. And honestly, that gives me a great sense of peace that I did not impose how I see a successful end of life on them. Their successful life is that they live in an apartment, they feel connected to life, and it gives them joy. So, so I guess my, challenge. yeah. Yeah, so the challenge was, <laughs> I guess what do I want for them versus what do they want for themselves? And then letting go and deciding, okay, what, they, what they've decided is the best way for them to live their life. I can't decide how they live their life. The reality is it turned out to be a good decision because if they were still in the retirement community, we wouldn't be able to visit them because of COVID. So we have more help now. So I enrolled them in palliative care in May. We have home health 
for my mom and my dad right now. My dad will probably not receive home health for much longer. He was in the hospital with sepsis in October and he qualified for home health because of that. And after his hospitalization, my niece started helping three days a week. So she goes and helps out three hours, three days a week. And that's been huge, huge. You do a lot in three hours. Oh, yes. And you know what? I always feel like the days that she's there, the day feels brighter to me. It's lighter because I am not obsessed and worried about what is going on <laughs> in their apartment because <laughs> they might not tell me what is going on in the apartment. But anyway, someone is going in to see what's going on and I oh, it just makes me feel better. Well, that's good. Thank you for sharing that with us. I think a lot of us can identify with that, that big challenge of caregiving. Um, and so the, the last question I have is, what has been the most rewarding aspect of caregiving for your parents? I've had some really great conversations with my parents about their death, interestingly enough. And it seems like I'm always obsessed about their death, but it's always on my mind. I, and I, I guess that's the part about it that I feel like it's a little bit out of control for me. And I want to be able to be there in the way that works for them before and after their death. So we started a conversation about funeral planning, probably about 10 years that went nowhere. And then over the years, I've brought it up again. And if they've shut me down, I've just said, okay. And then finally, I would say it was probably about three and a half years ago, I asked them again and they were like, oh, okay, let's talk about it. So they gave me their wishes for mass, so we're Catholic. So we talked out who the priest is that would say the mass. We haven't gotten the songs yet, but we've gotten a lot of the specifics down, what the day looks like. We got so specific that they each have an iPhone. They pulled out their individual iPhones and started researching which restaurant has the best private room for the luncheon after the mass. Now we have to make some adjustments because of COVID. So we had another conversation just within the past week about what do I do when they die? Now that sounds really odd, but that really was a worry. I thought, who do I call? And I started obsessing about it and I just thought, well, let's talk about it. And so they had a really nice conversation with me. And then we talked about, I'll call the palliative care nurse. I'll call all my siblings and nieces and nephews so that they can come to the apartment and say their goodbyes, even after the death. So we won't re immediately remove the body. And then we talked again about their services and wishes, and it was really helpful for me. Wow. Well, I, so it's, you know, we talk a lot about death around here too, since we have ALS and I, I wouldn't say we get cavalier about it for sure, but it certainly feels like a normal part of talking about life for us. So I, I really relate to that. And one, one thing I will say is a lot of people do wonder, what do you do? Right. Yes. And I, my, yes. my best advice is to talk to your primary care doctor. What happens when your loved one dies in your home? Unless you're in hospice. And then of course you would call hospice. But right. um, yep. if you're not in hospice, like for us, falls is definitely on, on we're always on the lookout for falls with ALS and, and that could be a sudden death for him. And so you call your primary care doctor. That's, unless you know otherwise, that's usually the best thing to do because they, they know what you do in your particular county or town. Yeah. Yes, so I don't like their primary care doctor. <laughs> and he is very slow in returning calls, so I don't trust him. So that's why I'm going to call the palliative care nurse and then go follow along with her. And I will also say we also talked about their obituaries. So my dad had written a very brief draft of his obituary before he had major surgery for his cancer in 2015. And during the last conversation that we had just a week ago, we started talking about their obituaries again and they were open to starting to write them. So my niece is working on trying to capture their obituary during her time with them. On Monday, they said they were open to it with her. And then on Wednesday, she went with her iPad to start working on it and they looked at her like she had two heads. So <laughs> we understand this is a process that they might be interested in and then not, but she is determined to move along with the process at their speed and then be available when they're ready to finally say, okay, here's what I want my obituary to be, to read. Wow. Like. 
Well, I love, I love your responses. I love, you know, really, I, I think what you're saying about the rewarding aspect, at least what I'm hearing is um, the open communication about some of the more difficult things in life. And that, and that itself can be rewarding because you've broken down barriers and you've, you know, you find out a little bit more about the people you're caring for before they're, they're gone in your life. And with that, I'm going to segue this to Jennifer because I've consumed a lot of our podcasts today. Well, thanks, Mayor. I'm first. I do want to say something to Denise. Um, longtime fan. I've been a caregiver for nearly 16 years for my brother, but prior to that, I was a caregiver for my grandmother. Um, in her early, I started in her early ages stages of dementia. Um, through her one month stay in assisted living. <laughs> And then to the long-term facility where she stayed until she passed away. And so um, one of the places that I turned to was the internet way back. Um, that All that actually took place in the early 2000s. And um, I found caregiving.com and I found the stories to be so helpful. And it's always been like, oh, that's the first place that I went. Um, I didn't have a peer network in those early days. I didn't, um, I didn't know who to ask about it. I didn't even call myself a caregiver. You know, I was just a granddaughter. And I, I'm really thankful that you had such rich content, even so early on, just to help people. The, the stories themselves are cathartic. And, you know, Mary did mention that what I do for my day job is public speaking for Wounded Warrior Project, but really what I do is share my story, and it's been uh, the best therapy that I've ever had. Um, sharing your story with other people helps you talk through it, and it gives um, some of the pain uh, a little more meaning, if that makes sense. Like, it, it's all meaningful to our care recipient and our family, but it, it, I lost my career prior to, to this one because of caregiving, and um, I, I felt like you, I could never really go back to something where I wasn't, you know, making meaningful contributions to the community. So what you said there really struck me. Um, I wanna talk a little bit about the networks that you have online. Mary and I have both been part of online networks that have helped us in recent years. I ran one for the Elizabeth Dole Foundation for several years and uh, Mayor runs one in the ALS community of caregivers. And I just wanna ask you um, the differences between healing our way and caring our way. So, so who should go to each one? So healing our way is for anyone who is healing through a loss. This spring, it just seemed like grief was such a part of everyone's life. And it felt like, where do we go with our grief? So one of my consultants and I started doing a grief virtual support group meeting twice a month. And from that, really started thinking about, but what do we need to heal? And I figured out this process where we're healing through loss and we can name what that loss might be we're healing with something. There is some coping strategy that we're using that helps us heal through that particular loss. And I also think it's helpful to think about where are we healing to? What's our destination? Peace of mind, acceptance, forgiveness. So we can apply that process regardless of what our loss could be. I also think when there's a significant loss, it's not our only loss. So in our grieving groups, for instance, the attendees will talk about the death of their family member and then really the loss of relationships because of that death. So our losses are compounded and I find it helpful if we think about what's the loss that's really hitting me today and then what's the process that I can use to get through that can be helpful. So healing our way is for anyone who feels like loss is a part of their life and they want to take care of it. So in December, we're doing a 30 days of healing where every day I post a prompt that helps you figure out what could you heal. So today it's healing a moment. And I think about that because we have moments in our past that really, oh, just weigh on us. 
I should have done something, I should have said something. And I think we can heal that by looking at it from the point of view of, okay, but what have I learned about what I can say and what I can do going forward? So maybe I can't change that moment, but I can change my future moments. So the idea is we look at a moment that's painful and then we think, okay, when that moment happens again, I know now what I'm gonna say and what I'm gonna do. And that's how we heal that past moment by thinking about, I know now what I wanna do in the future. So we have grief groups twice a month, and then we have this community through Healing Our Way. I started thinking about resilience this fall, especially as it relates to this difficult winter we're gonna have. I think it's gonna be hard on all of us. And I think what, what's, what's gonna help us get through it is our ability to be resilient. But what is resilience? So I thought I'm gonna start a resilience project. So carrying our way really follows a similar format of healing our way, which is we're carrying our way through difficult months with a community of support to resilience. It's been so helpful for me personally because I've been thinking about my days in different ways and really looking at what's resilience. To me, resilience is energy. So there are activities and relationships that we encounter in our day that either energize us or de-energize us. And resilience is when we feel energized. When we are de-energized, it takes away from our resilience because we lose energy. So I've been thinking about what energizes me. The goal through the Resilience Project is to take something we create like a workshop or a piece of art or a lesson learned and turn it into something that we use during our conference in April. So it's a virtual conference called the Caring Conference. The theme is our resilient spirit because the Resilience Project is actually inspiring what we actually share at the conference. So people can submit a uh, proposal to present. They also can be part of our virtual art show. So just yesterday, one of the members of Curing Our Way asked me about crocheting. She said, you know, is crocheting a helpful activity for resilience? I thought, yes, it is. And then I remembered that I used to crochet. And interestingly enough, there were two things that got me through a difficult marriage. So I'm divorced. Eating, that, was, <laughs> that got me through, but that didn't help. And crocheting, I used to crochet all the time. So I asked her, what videos would you recommend for a beginning crocheter? Because even though I crocheted all the time, I literally had two stitches and I made one thing and that was little lap rugs. And so she's gonna share some videos. And then I suggested to her, what you create through your crocheting could be something that you actually display in our virtual art show. So to me, it gives us this really added layer of comfort during our day. The other thing that came to mind is yesterday we had a prompt around our process. So I have a 30 day activity going on in December and it's called be present. So every day I'm posting a prompt where we are present to something. So yesterday it was be present to our process. I started thinking about processes that we might've integrated that could be new for us. And there certainly is a process related to staying safe during the pandemic. We have a mask that's ready to go. We keep them in different places. So we always know where to get one. We have a process for hand washing. We have a process to keep social distancing. Well, after I figured out we have a process for that stuff, it occurred to me that I can add a ritual when I put on a mask that really could be comforting for me. So the ritual that I'll start to use when I put on a mask is to be grateful for everybody in the world who works to keep us safe. And that way I'm doing something for myself, but I'm also sharing something out there in the world, which is gratitude for people who are doing the good work during this really difficult time. So if you're interested in learning about resilience, if you're interested in thinking about how that resilience could inspire something you create that becomes part of our conference, join our resilience project and that's caringourway.com. Love that. Um, I certainly encourage our listeners to check out both Healing Our Way and Caring Our Way. Uh, Mary and I have talked a lot about grief on 
this caregiver life because it's a big part of caregiving. Uh, for me, I had to grieve the my care recipient for who they used to be and no longer are. I had to grieve what I thought our relationship would be, what, our, what I thought our, my care recipient's future would be. And then I had to grieve what I was, what my life was, because it's changed so greatly. Um, and it certainly feels selfish sometimes when you're doing that, but it isn't. It's so important to keep ourselves healthy inside and out during this caregiver life. And so I'm excited to explore both of these uh, projects that you have going. And I'm also just really inspired by all of the projects that you, you know, you're like continually coming up with this new thing and that new thing and this answer to that um, challenge that caregivers are having. And that's really inspirational. Um, I want to talk to you about your books, but before I do, I want to just say something um, to our audience. You know, we do talk about death a lot, and I think that it's been normalized for Mayor and I. Um, we talk to our care recipients about death. I've been talking to my, my brother about death since before I was his caregiver because he was in the military deploying to a combat zone, and we did talk about what plans, how he wanted his funeral, you know, what he wanted uh, it to look like. And I think we've, that in my family, we're a bit desensitized to that now because we practiced it. So, so in that way, it's actually easier for us to talk about other subjects. We talk about intimacy more, I think, than other families. We talk about hurt feelings more than other families. And it's been really healthy. So I wanna encourage our listeners um, to have that tough conversation. And sometimes you have that conversation, you know, during the holidays, because that's when we are together. Maybe it's on Zoom this year, but um, I think it is, it's the one thing, if you can do it before, that you'll be so, so glad that you did. Um, a friend of mine who passed away last year um, had written his own obituary a couple of years before he died and he shared it with me. And I remember um, when I read it after he passed, I laughed because it was his words and I knew it and I had heard it before and it comforted me in that really dark time of loss. And that's the thing I want people to think about is giving your family comfort and for caregivers too, right? How many caregivers who are listening right now how many of you have end of life plans? I'm guessing not as many as their care recipients do, um, but we all know accidents happen, health conditions develop. And um, so I think that was a very good point. I wanna thank you for sharing that. Now let's talk about your books. You have a new one coming out in January, but you've been an author for a while. Yeah, my first book was actually based on the six stages. So I've revised it, I think eight times over the years. Yeah, <laughs> right, because caregiving changes. And you know what else I have found? My understanding of caregiving changes. And I find that to be so helpful. And it's really just been listening to the family caregiver stories that has been so helpful to me. Again, it's this idea that everybody has a different story and every story should really be heard. So the latest book is around compassion fatigue. I started doing a survey of family caregivers and their stress in 2015. And in reading what people shared about their stress, it occurred to me that compassion fatigue is really this umbrella term. And in order to heal our compassion fatigue, we have to get specific about what's wearing us out. So we get tired of coping, of supporting, of feeling guilty, of trying. Oh my gosh, trying, trying, trying. We get tired of being gracious, you know, always having that smile on our face when people tell us, you know what would help? And you're just like, oh my gosh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so the book looks at 12 different fatigues we experience and then offers strategies to help you heal. Well, where can we get your book? Well, so it'll be on Amazon. I don't have a publication date yet, so it'll be sometime in January, but definitely I will share on social media when it's available. Awesome. And it actually, it'll be the first in a series because I, 
I start with 12 fatigues, but there are more than that. And I think it's really helpful to think about, again, it's this idea that we can be specific about what we're experiencing in our life. And when we can name it, then we can figure out what's gonna help us. So compassion fatigue just feels so big. What is compassion fatigue? But if we can drill down and say, you know what, I am just so tired today because I am, I am so discouraged, then that helps us figure out what we need, which is encouragement. So where do we go for encouragement? And everybody has a different source of encouragement, but if you have that source ready to go to, that can help you move through that discouragement. Ultimately, what we're looking for is hope. If we feel healed, we feel hopeful. I just wanna mention something that I figured out about what can heal us during caregiving. It's opportunities. So Mary, you talked earlier about sometimes we go through caregiving when we feel like, oh my gosh, have I wasted these years? But if we look at it as giving us wisdom, giving us a perspective on life that's really helpful, then we can turn that into different opportunities. So Jen, when you were talking about going to visit caregiving.com 20 years ago, I always wanted the family caregiver story to be the story you read. I didn't want you to go to the website and read what a lawyer or a doctor told us about what we were experiencing. I wanted it to come from us, what we're experiencing, because that's when we feel understood. So it became this idea that I need to offer opportunities. So it was the opportunity to blog on a website. It was opportunity to be uh, a guest on my podcast that I used to do. It was an opportunity to be a presenter at the National Caregiving Conference that I used to do, just like you can be a presenter at the Caring Conference. Opportunities are what heal us because we don't feel like we wasted anything. The opportunities remind us that we have gained even during a painful experience like caregiving. Well, and we all have gained. And I think that's the focal point that we want every listener to take away from this caregiver life is that your caregiving life enriches you. It, it may take away some things, of course, but what it adds is so much greater. And um, I think what you've added to this Caregiver Life podcast is so wonderful. Uh, Mara and I can't thank you enough for being a guest talking about your projects and your books. We're so um, honored to have you here. And I know we said at the top of the show, we really like to have caregivers on um, because just like you found with caregiving.com, caregivers want to learn from one another. And um, many experts in many fields can offer us some things, but that empathy and understanding really only comes from other caregivers. So I want to thank you for that. And um, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to add, pitch, sell? Now's the time. <laughs> I think you guys did such a great um, thing, giving me all these opportunities to pitch during the podcast. So I think I'm done. I think I'm pitched out. I appreciate it so much. It really was so fun to talk to both of you. I congratulate you on all your successes and really thank you for everything that you're doing to help all of us. It's great. Well, Jen, this was a great podcast. Well, even though we took a month off, I have to say this one of my faves, I really needed this today. I needed to get out of my caregiver hands-on life and get back into that consultancy life that, that we have and what a, what a great offering that Denise has for caregivers like us who are ready to give back, who need to give back in some way. Um, really connected with this one, Mayor. Yeah, I do too. And sometimes I think one of the big um, takeaways too is taking that pause that we did take. And it's really important. Sometimes that's how you catch your breath, right? In this caregiver life that's so busy for both of us in various different ways. And I think we needed that little pause and what a great comeback this was today. It really infused a lot of um, interesting ways to think about things and going forward. And, you know, um, even though I haven't been speaking in person much the last year, I have been doing um, lots of virtual offerings and I'm afraid Denise may find a proposal from me to be part of her virtual conference next year. <laughs> oh, that would be great. You'll keep us informed about that. I definitely will. I am. Um, 
Uh, Mayor, I want to encourage our listeners to check out our holiday special podcast that we produced last year live when we were in our on our Washington, D.C. tour. And I've also encouraged them to visit our social media where we'll be sharing links to those and snippets from each of those holiday specials that we had last year for caregivers who we know are um, experiencing stress this year more than ever because our holidays are going to look so different. Mm-hmm. They are. They are. And, and, you know, it's one year and next year will be different as well. You know, just like last year was different then this year is different. So if we can kind of hang on to that thought, we can all get through the holidays in a better place than we imagined. I sure hope that our listeners who maybe want to share their story, maybe they're inspired by listening to Denise today, will visit our website, uh, thiscaregiverlife.com, and where they can uh, share their own story if they like, and they can also uh, let us know if they are interested in being a guest on the show. We uh, have a very robust social media offering as well, don't we, Mayor? We do. We have um, This Caregiver Life Facebook page. We have... Um, tw- our Twitter handle is, and I know I never remember. Jennifer always remembers this for me. Caregiver this at this caregiver, at this caregiver. You know, because we have to be short on Twitter. Um, and this caregiver life on Instagram, and you can certainly send us an email at this caregiver life at gmail.com or visit our website at this caregiver and uh, you can drop us a line there as well. Yeah, I'm so excited. It's always great to hear from our listeners who are over four thousand now. Yay. How did that even happen, Mayor? I don't know. I I shared a bunch of statistics the other day. I think I took some screenshots for you. Um, We've recorded 1,300 minutes this year. Whoa. Crazy, right? We were really robust during the early days of the pandemic. We were like, we're going to be out there and and share these stories with people who need to hear them because we're already isolated. We were Shakespeare during the plague, writing King Lear. Um. <laughs> it was it was crazy, but we um, so we've we've done a lot on our podcast, and we're looking forward to 2021. And we hope Denise, you'll come back and and share with us again. We would love for you to come back as a guest, and thank you so much for guesting with us today. Thank you both so much. This was so fun. It was great to connect with you. Okay, great. So Jen, till the next time. Till next time, Mayor.